Well, uh, welcome to River City. Good to have you guys here. Uh, if you are new or visiting, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors that is here. It is especially good to be with you on Easter Sunday this morning. Uh, Easter Sunday, he is risen. He is risen indeed. So we are in the middle of a series uh, taking a look at the book of Colossians. And in Colossians, uh, the letter is written by the Apostle Paul, and it's written to a group of uh, churches, primarily in the, in the city of Colossae. And, and so if you are new, or maybe, God forbid, you missed a week, I thought I'd give just a qu- quick recap of where we're at in our study of Colossians. And, and the reason why we're just continuing on in our study rather than taking a time out to do something special for Easter is... It's because our passage is about Easter this morning anyways. And so in God's timing, he would see fit that our, uh, the, our study of his word would just align with our celebration of his resurrection. And so I look forward to doing that with you guys this morning. But like I said, the, the letter of Colossians is a letter written um, by the Apostle Paul while he's in prison uh, near the end of his life to this church in the city of Colossae. And the main reason that Paul is writing this letter, the, the main issue that he is addressing um, is religious syncretism. And religious syncretism is this, uh, the merging or the blending of all these different ideologies and thinkings and religious beliefs. And uh, you see, the air that the Colossians were facing is the same thing that threatens us today. I quoted Warren Wearsby a few weeks ago when he said, the false teachers in Colossae, like the false teachers of our own day, would not deny the importance of Jesus. They would simply dethrone him, giving him prominence, but not preeminence. Jesus Christ was just one of many emanations that proceeded from God through which men could reach God and through which men could be saved. You see, the Colossians weren't about to reject Jesus altogether. They were just going to add to him. Jesus, they were tempted to believe that Jesus wasn't the way to right relationship with God, that he just might be a way to right relationship with God. And so Paul begins his letter that we saw just in the past few weeks He begins his letter with a manifesto about Jesus. At the heart of Paul's manifesto about Jesus is the supremacy of Jesus in everything. What we saw over those co-weeks, the the, the center of all of that is the truth that it's because Jesus is supreme, because he is the Lord of everything, that he is the sufficient Savior we must exclusively cling to. Because Jesus is supreme, He's the one that saves. And so Paul goes on, we saw last week, to add to that, because Jesus is the only one that saved, because he is the only one that can make us right with God, the driving force of our lives should be that everyone would know Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that saves, because he is the one that restores all people to right relationship with him, the thing that should matter most to us is that everybody knows him. Paul said that that's going to be costly, but it will always be worth it. Without Jesus, we cannot be saved, but with him, we have all that we need. Everyone has all that they need in him, and that's the focus of our passage this morning in chapter 2. See, Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. Jesus plus nothing is everything we need. Jesus plus nothing is everything, and the flip is true. Jesus plus anything is worth nothing. 
You see, the message of the Colossians church was hearing from the culture all around them was that Jesus was not enough. Jesus was good, but you also needed to make sure that you appeased all the other gods or all the other spiritual forces. Jesus was good. He just wasn't enough. You also needed to follow all of the Jewish customs and holidays. Jesus was good. He just wasn't enough. You needed to add your own moral behavior to make sure that you were right with God. And Paul just says, no. If you have Christ, then you have everything that you need. And that's the message of Easter. That in Jesus, God accomplished all that was needed to make us right with him. Jesus' work is sufficient. Jesus plus nothing is everything we need. So in light of that, let's pray this morning as we dive into our passage. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that in your timing, uh, we would study such a just incredibly good passage about the gospel in light of your resurrection. God, and we come with hearts that we just long to celebrate that. We long to just make much of you. We long that you would be celebrated on our time together here. God, and we just are so grateful that we would get to come to do that. God, I just ask that. Uh, God, my heart feels distracted right now. I feel like my brain's in a million different places. And God, I just ask that you would come fill me so that I, I might be able to make much of you. I pray that you would make much of yourself in and through me, even in spite of me, if you have to, Jesus. God, my heart is that you would be made much of this morning, that you would be celebrated, that you would be enjoyed, that you would be treasured, that you would be found as enough. And I don't have any power to make that happen, so God, I ask by your spirit that you would cause that to be true in our hearts this morning. pray these things in your good and gracious name and dependent on you. Amen. Amen. Well, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there is a shelf of them on the back. In the back, those are free for you. Please take one. That's our gift to you. But this morning, we're in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Verse 6 begins this way. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. For he is the head over every power and authority and in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of god who raised him from the dead when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh god made you alive with christ He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Man, such incredibly good words as we study, as we remember the good news about Easter this morning. Paul begins these verses with, in verse 6 and 7, he says, Just as you received Christ, continue to live your lives in him, 
rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith. You see, Jesus is not the first thing that we learn and then move on past. He is the foundational point of our faith on which everything must be connected. The whole Bible is actually all about Jesus. The Old Testament looks forward to him. The Gospels are about his life here on earth. The New Testament is written in light of him and ultimately looks forward to his return. All of the Bible is really about Jesus. And the thing that I hope you notice most about the preaching and the teaching here at River City is that every time we open God's word, every time we spend time together, my heart is that we would always point you to Jesus. You see, whether it's in our series here in Colossians, as we get to proclaim the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus and how that changes our lives, or whether it was this past summer when we spent time studying many of the Old Testament stories and seeing how those were ultimately pointing us and foreshadowing the gospel to us, or whether it's any other time that we have the privilege of opening God's word I want the center of our attention. I want the hero of the story. I want the point of our gathering. I want the implications of our time together always to have everything to do with Jesus. Because what I want for us is that just as we received Christ, we would continue to live our lives in him. That we'd be rooted how we would be built up, that we would be established in him. He is the truth. He is the mystery of God. He is the key. In him, in him is all authority and all power and all life. Nowhere else. It's just found in him. We can never move past him. And Paul knows this truth, which is why he writes in verse 8, so see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow or empty empty philosophies. That phrase, take you captive, it literally means to steal you away or take you away as plunder. Paul says, don't let anyone steal you away with theology, with philosophy that depends on something other than Jesus. You see, any human tradition, any church tradition that has its footings that is not rooted in the gospel, that's not rooted in the person and work of Jesus, that's empty philosophy. That's pointless tradition. Any elemental spirits of the world, any things that depend on anything other than Jesus to make us right with God, Paul says that stuff will steal you away. Anything that is not according to Christ is worthlessness. Paul says, this is the teaching saying that Jesus plus anything is worthless. It's also Jesus or anything is worthless. Paul is saying, it's just Jesus that saves. It's only him that makes us right with God. And it's only him that empowers our lives lived for him. You see, the culture around the Colossians was threatening to seep into their thinking and into their church, and it was um, saying that Jesus was just part of what was needed to be saved. And in verses 9 and 10, Paul says, no. He says, no, if you have Christ in him, all the fullness of God dwells. You have been brought to fullness in Christ. You already have in Christ the supreme ruler of all things. What more could you possibly add to his sacrifice to make it better? What could we add to the supremacy of Jesus to make it better? In our passage this week and next week, Paul's going to address a few specific things that we try to add to Jesus. 
But in really what he's going to say is that when we try to add things to Jesus, we're really detracting from him. Because Jesus is supreme. He is Lord over everything. There's nothing we can add to him. There's nothing we need to add to his sacrifice. And in verses 11 and 12 this week, Paul highlights the the practice of circumcision. In Genesis 17, we see that circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham, his covenant with the Israelites. It was a, a sign or a mark of being set apart as the people of God. It was an outward picture of what was supposed to be happening in their heart. And you see this really come through in Deuteronomy chapter 12 when Moses is pleading with the Israelites who have just uh, been worshiping idols and he says circumcise your hearts you see circumcision didn't save the israelites it didn't fundamentally change them it didn't change their status or their standing with god it was a sign of what was true it was a sign of being set apart for him Paul relates this to the followers of Jesus in verse 11. He says, In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised, but with a circumcision that was not performed by human hands. He says, Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised with Christ, when you were set apart in Christ. He says, In Jesus, you were completely set apart as God's people. He's done that for you. He has given you the new heart that Moses said the people needed, a heart that actually wants to obey, a heart that actually wants to follow, a heart that actually desires to honor the Lord. You see, well, the problem for the Israelites is that they needed a new heart. And without a new heart, they were just endlessly trying, endlessly doing their best, and endlessly failing. And throughout the prophets, God foreshadows that one day he'll give them the thing that they need. One day he'll give them not just the law that tells them what is good and right and wrong, but he'll give them new hearts that actually cause them to long to obey, to long for him. Their circumcision was an outward sign of an inward change that was supposed to be happening. And Paul says that's the same thing that is true in baptism. In verse 12 he says, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul's telling the Colossians, your baptism was a sign that you put your faith in Jesus. And he says it's your faith in the work of God on your behalf that saves you and that raises you to new life. That's why here at River City, that's why we don't baptize babies. Instead, of, instead we dedicate them. And really dedication is about um, putting the parents before the Lord and saying we need help to honor you and to raise our kids so that they might know, come to know and love and follow and serve you. And so that one day they would choose as an outward sign of their profession of their faith in Jesus to be baptized. You see, circumcision was the sign, Paul says, now baptism is. Baptism doesn't save anyone, neither did circumcision. Instead, they are signs of being set apart as a member of God's people. It's a sign that shows that we've put our faith in the person and the work of Jesus alone to save us. What Paul goes on to say is true of both of circumcision and of baptism is that they are an acknowledgement that we needed to be made right with God. 
That's what Paul's referring to in verses 13 through 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, the good news of the gospel is only good if there's bad news and the bad news is that we have a record of debt against god and it comes with legal demands you see there has to be consequences for sin otherwise god is a worthless king who is unjust and powerless and he's not worthy of any kind of worship but just as the penalty for mutiny is death so too the penalty for our rebellion against god is also death and we say, that might, that's, that might sound harsh to us. We love to think that God's just a God of love. But God's love and his justice have to coincide. Otherwise, he is a worthless king that's not worthy of being worshipped or served. And the truth is, is that God made us. He gave us life. He's the king that we said God, we reject your kingly rule. We reject your kingly authority. Instead, we're going to put ourselves on the throne of of the king of our own lives. We're going to live for our own good, and we're going to live by what we seem is best and what we think is good and right and true. And the truth is, is that every single one of us has done that. Every one of us has said, God, I reject your kingly rule. I'm going to be king. That's what sin is. Sin is a rejection of the authority of God and an enthroning of ourselves. It's mutiny. See, and the good news of the gospel is that God canceled that record of debt against us. That's the good news. It's not good news unless you realize you have a debt that needs to be canceled. And the Paul says that God didn't just cancel that record of debt by cosmically ignoring it. He didn't just like kind of use the dry erase board and wipe it off. No, he says that he did it by paying the debt in full and he nails it to the cross. See, when Jesus is nailed to the cross, God is nailing the record of our debt and he says, this is paid. It's paid in full. It's done. It's finished. You see, Jesus died in our place, not figuratively, not symbolically, not allegorically. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die in our place, on our behalf, and he received the penalty that my sin and that your sin was due. This is so, he didn't just receive the vague sins of everyone. Jesus took on the penalty of our sins. He received the penalty for my anger and my self-righteousness and my lust and my love of myself more than my love of anyone else. Jesus died for those things. He took on the weight of those things. He took on the penalty of those things, not just the vague sins of everyone. He took on the specific sins of all people. You see, it was laid on him. He felt its weight. He felt its burden, and he received the just penalty that sin is due. And the Bible says that he willingly did that. He was not forced. He was not coerced. He says he did it willingly and freely. In John 10, verses 18, Jesus, foreshadowing his death to disciples, he says this. He says, no one takes my life from me. He says, I lay it down of my own accord. 
He says, I have the authority to lay it down. But the good news about Easter is that Jesus says, I have the authority to take it back up again. You see, we were dead, hopeless, lifeless under the penalty of sin without Jesus. But God made us alive together with Christ. It's in Jesus' death that we are set free from the penalty of sin. But it's in Jesus' resurrection that we actually have the power to live in light of who he is. Without the resurrection, we are just walking around with no purpose. But with the resurrection, we're not just, our record of debt hasn't just been canceled. We now have the power to live in light of this new life that we've been given. You see, if there's no resurrection, then we have no hope for actually living for God, and we're just going to rack up more debt against him. But the resurrection means that we don't just have Jesus' death that's credited to us. It means that we have the power of his life that is given to us. That's why Paul says, so don't move on past him. You cannot go past Jesus. You cannot be done with him. Paul says, don't let anyone steal you away from him because his death is not the only thing you need. He says, his life is, you need his life just as much as you need his death. Jesus' life lived for us in our place. His death died for us in our place and we are raised with him. Without Jesus' resurrection, we have no power to live for him. We have no power to obey. We have no power to honor the Lord, to seek him. That's why we need both his death and his resurrection. The gospel is not good news unless Jesus rises. And in verse 15, Paul says, as God raised Jesus from the dead, he says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities. He says, putting them to open shame. No one else rises from the dead. Jesus, the king of all things, is the one who does. He puts all other rulers, all other powers, all other authorities, he puts them to open shame. Chapter 1, Paul says that Jesus is the word that created everything, that by him everything holds together. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of creation. He is supreme in everything. And Jesus' death and his resurrection, it proves who he is. Jesus has won. He has defeated Satan and sin and death. And God has triumphed over all other spiritual powers and forces in Jesus. They hold no power and no authority any longer because of Jesus. You see, Jesus was enough. His sacrifice was enough. Jesus plus nothing is everything we need. That's the good news about the message of Easter. All we need to have right relationship with God is found in him All we need to be made right with God is found in him. All that we need to have the power to live new lives for the Lord is found in him. And so Paul's message to the Colossians is, so reject anything else. Reject anything plus Jesus. Reject anything that you are looking to in addition to Jesus to make you right with God. He says Jesus plus obeying more or Jesus plus your faithfulness or Jesus plus your human traditions or Jesus plus going to church or praying more or giving more money or not lying or confessing your sins or volunteering more or being baptized more. He says Jesus plus any of those things is worthlessness. It doesn't make it doesn't change your status or your standing with God. He says, all that you need is Jesus. In Christ, God's accomplished everything on our behalf. He is sufficient. 
In the coming weeks, what we'll see is that Paul says that the plus things, they're not, they're not, they don't have, and it's not that they have no value. It's not that being generous with our time and our finances has no value. It's not that being baptized has no value. It's not that giving generously has no value. It's not that going to church has no value. It's not that obeying the Lord has no value. They just have no value for changing your status or your standing with him. You see, God longs for those things to be gifts that we actually enjoy as he intended. That we would enjoy them to the fullest. But the problem is those things can never bring joy as they ought when they're something that we need to add to Jesus. See, if Jesus plus obeying more is what makes you right with God, then you will always be afraid that you have not obeyed enough or you will be blindly smug and self-righteous thinking that God owes you something. But if you believe that Jesus' death was enough, then your obedience will be humble and it will be a passion that fills your life. It will be a longing that you have. It will be motivated not by trying to get something from God, but by trying to give him back everything he's already given to you. If Jesus plus giving enough is what makes you right with God, then you will always be afraid you have not given enough or you will be blindly smug and self-righteous looking down on others because you think that God owes you something because you gave enough. But if you believe that Jesus' death and his life lived for you was enough, then you will long to give generously because you realize that the king of the universe gave everything generously to you. And so you long to give generously back to him and to his people, and to his purposes. If Jesus plus going to church is what makes you right with God, if Jesus plus taking communion is what makes you right with God, if Jesus plus anything is what makes you right with God, the result will always be pride or despair. Those are the only two results that come from Jesus plus anything. But if the good news is that when Jesus plus nothing is all we need, What that does is it frees you. It frees you from living to get something from God, and instead it frees you to give everything back to him. It's so that your whole life might be given back to him because he's already made you right with him. He's already given you a new life and a new status and a new standing that you never deserved and that you could not earn and that you would absolutely mess up if it was on you to keep it. Oh, but in Jesus we have all we need. And so Paul says, Jesus plus nothing is everything you need. Reject the plus. As one pastor writes, he says, let us not detract from Jesus by adding to him. Let us not demean him by trying to supplement him. Let us not despise him by trying to complete his work. Instead, in all of our joys, Jesus is better. In all of our suffering, Jesus is enough. So let us always delight in him. Let us always delight in Jesus, in his work, in his life. You see, and that is what communion is all about. That's why we celebrate communion every week. Communion is not a duty, it's not a task, it's not an obligation. We celebrate communion because what we're celebrating is that we have right relationship with God because of what Jesus did. 
We celebrate with the bread that his body broken for us was enough as he lived the life that we should have lived. And we celebrate with the drink that his blood shed for us was enough as he died the death that we should have died. And we celebrate that all that was needed for our salvation, Jesus accomplishes for us on our behalf. And by faith, we lay hold of God's unmerited grace and of his sufficient mercy. Every church does communion a little bit differently. At River City, during our time of musical worship at the end, you just go back and you dip the bread in the juice. There is a station on the left and on the right. Communion is between you and God. And it's a chance for you to remember, for you to celebrate all that Jesus has done for you. And so on Easter Sunday of all Sundays, man, celebrate all that Jesus has done. Let it fill you with life and joy and passion so that you might live for him. But remember that Jesus' death died for you is not the only thing you need. You need his life. You need to be rooted and established in him because his life is the power you need to live for him. And you don't have that without him. So as we take communion this morning, we celebrate that on Friday, God canceled our record of debt through the death of Jesus. And that on Sunday, God raised us together with him. His life was enough. His death was enough. Jesus is enough. God, we are so grateful. God, I'm so thankful that that's the message I get to proclaim this morning. God, that the record of my debt against you was canceled at the cross. God, that without Jesus, I was dead in sin and I was hopeless just as we all were. God, and I'm so grateful that the message that I get to proclaim, God, with great joy and passion is that you have done enough. That you are enough. God, and I just... I just confess in my own heart. God, sometimes I just like, even though I don't actually believe this, what I functionally believe is that it's my faithfulness that maintains my right standing with you. Like the good news is that all that was needed to change my standing with you, Jesus did. And it cannot be changed because his sacrifice cannot be improved on. God, that just fills my heart with a, just a longing to live for you. God, and it fills my heart with a dependence on you. God, I need your life. We need your life. We need your death. And we need your power living in us so that we might live for you. We love you, God. Thanks that you loved us first. That in Christ you raised us from the dead with him if we have put our hope and our faith in you. And so we come to celebrate that this morning. Amen.